Our lesson this morning, as I've mentioned the last few times, that we're going to be looking more at some topical lessons in the morning and some uh, textual lessons in the evening. And so tonight we'll be looking at the second lesson in the book of Haggai. Uh, but this morning we're going to be looking at the topic of how to handle failure. And if you were to think about your own life, have there ever been times you had pursued something and failed? Times you tried to do something and failed. You know, last year I did one woodworking project. It came out well. Chuck helped me a little bit on, on part of it. And I tried another one, and I will tell you, it did not work out. Uh, at some point, I might try it again. But on that project, you can definitely say that, yeah, I, I failed and I was not able to do that as I wanted to. But there's times in life when we fail, we have to learn from our mistakes. We have to decide how we are going to handle failure. I think there are some people today that really have a really tough time handling when they fail, when they fall short. And as we're going to talk about later, we know that as individuals, that we're going to sin before God. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we'll talk about that as well as we get into our lesson this morning. But think about these two questions as we begin. And this morning, I want to show some ways to handle failure as we find examples to do so in the Bible. Do we always fail just because we think we have failed? If we think we have failed, is that always accurate? Sometimes we may do something and a person may say, well, I don't think you really failed. What are we to do when we actually do fail? We want to begin by looking at some perceived failures that are not always failures. Feeling like you have failed does not necessarily mean that you have failed. And one example I'll think of is sometimes when we have a Bible conversation with someone or a Bible study with someone, I think it's a very bad idea to think that just because someone doesn't have, just because we have a study or a conversation with someone, does there not result in someone obeying the gospel? That does not mean that we have failed. If you were to look at the book of Matthew, you'll find we talk about the parable of sower. If that is your definition of failed, then, then there are three examples of failures in the parable of the silver. That's not really the case. Perceived failures are not always failures. Sometimes we feel we have failed because we worry and overly and are overly critical of ourselves. There's your first typo of the morning. And are overly critical of ourselves. We overanalyze our actions. We overanalyze maybe everything in life. We do not want to fall into the trap of thinking that we always have failed when we may, that may not be the case. The Bible tells us that we are to work hard and to trust in the Lord. We find this very basic idea throughout the Bible. We are to be those that what are our hands find to do, we are to do it with all of our, all of our might. There in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. We are to be those who work hard, but we also are to be those who trust in the Lord. In Psalm 37, verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We are to work hard and trust in the Lord. 
we're going to be, we have to realize that we're not going to be 100% successful 100% of the time. We can look at numerous examples throughout history. People talk about Michael Jordan being the greatest basketball player of all time, yet he did not make his junior high or, I think, either junior high or high school team. He was actually cut. We think about men who invented various things over the years, and they'll tell you how many times they failed before they ever even got close. We are to learn along the way. We are to learn along the way. This is not a sow your wild oats idea. That is going out and sowing your wild oats and learning from your simple experiences. That's not what we're talking about. But we are to grow from actual worthwhile experiences. Moses learned that he needed help. If you go back and look at Numbers chapter 11, we know that he needed help. As he says here in verse 10, the Bible says, And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their, throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servants? And why have not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom, as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to, get, to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Now, some might say, I think critics say, might say, Well, Moses was a failure. You couldn't handle it. Is that really the case? How many people made up Israel at that time? Well, it was enough people. We find in verse 16 and 17 in the same chapter, the Bible says that God appointed. Uh, look at verse uh, 16. Elders there, he says, Gather to me 70 men, the elders of Israel. When Moses was tired, God realized there's only like 70 other people to help alleviate that burden. Does that mean Moses failed before that? No. He was burdened, he was stressed. I think as we see throughout Moses' life, there are times he definitely makes mistakes, but Numbers 11 doesn't seem to be one of them. We know if you look at verses, uh, verse 15, he actually tells God, if this is how it's going to be, just kill me here and now, because that's how stressed out he was. But God responded to verse 16 and 17 by saying, Go to me, 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you, may, whom you know to be uh, the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle meeting, they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same, same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of all the people with you, that you may not bear, bear it yourself alone. Did Moses fail? No. He just needed some additional help. He cries out to God, no doubt in time of distress. What does God do? Okay, I'll give you 70 people to help you. Does God respond when the faithful call out? Well, yes, he does. Moses learned from his experience, and I think one of those things you could say he learned from that is he probably could have called upon God sooner for help. Instead of you know, saying the things he did in verse 15 about how this, this house is going to be just kill me here and now. But he calls upon God for help. One of the things he learns here, I think, in, in this section is that God provides help for him. We today, when we feel like we are overburdened, we need to be those who learn from Moses and pray to God. 
that we go to God for help in times of stress. Moses may have felt like a failure, but he was anything but that. We can learn from these experiences. Moses no doubt learned from that. But also we notice from Psalm 119, looking at verse 71, here the psalmist says, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. We can learn from difficulties. Sometimes difficult times will help us realize, hey, you know what? I should really listen to God more. And in verse 71, that seems to be the idea, right? That I may learn your statute. It's good for me that I've been afflicted. I might learn to what? Listen to you more. Stop trying to do things all, all myself. Many times when we feel like we have failed, it's probably because we have taken on too much. We feel like, well, I was able to get this done or this done, but what about the other 30,000 things you put on your plate yourself? Sometimes it's not that we have failed, it's that we have simply allowed ourselves to be overcome. But when we do actually fail, not when we are just simply overcome, but when we try at something and fail, what do we do then? I think one of the first things we have to realize is that failure is a part of life. We're not going to be 100% successful 100% of the time. You know, when we first began doing podcasts, as some of you know, Brizzers may not know this, but we started doing podcasts back, I think it was back in 2015, those Bible lessons and singing them out. There was a lot of learning along the way. And there were some times when we tried different things that did not work. In a technical sense, it did not work. But now here we are six years later and it's still going and growing. We have to realize that sometimes we are going to fail at certain things, but also we learn along, learn along the way. And we realize that we learn from those things. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from things that simply just do not pan out. There are too many examples of individuals who failed at numerous points in their life before they were successful. And I don't mean the idea that those who try hard to become rich and then become rich and they're successful. That's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes there may be days you feel like we failed as a parent, we feel like we failed as a spouse, as a, as a worker, or as an employee, or as an employer. But it's part of life, and we'll learn from those things. Failing does not mean you cannot try again. Look at Psalm, 20, Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, our key text for today. He says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, which means a good man, a righteous man, follows God's word, right? And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. The Lord upholds him with his hand. Now we know in context, he's talking about the righteous man, his ways are ordered by the Lord. He follows his word. When he sins, God lifts him up, no doubt, as he repents. And so he will not utterly be destroyed. The Lord upholds him with his hand. He made a mistake. He failed. He sinned against God. Does God today lift us up when we face hard times? Absolutely. When we call upon God in prayer and we go to Him in times of difficulty, God will always be the one who comforts us the most. As you find here in Psalm 37, 23, and 24, the listening individual is pictured as being one who falls, as the idea in this context is one who sins. He says, He shall not be early cast down. The only reason for that would be because He repents. And the Lord upholds Him with His hand. The Lord lifts Him up. The Lord hears His prayer, hears His repentance. And what happens? The Lord strengthens Him yet again. 
See, when we fail, we can still get back up, can't we? The only time we actually truly fail, as we'll talk about later, is when we stop getting up. If your failure is a spiritual one, then repentance is how we overcome that. All sin but mankind has opportunities to repent. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we find examples of those who have failed, but God has given them a chance to repent. Israel was one who had a, a, their faith. They'd be faithful for a while, and then we know they would, they would fall away. God would chastise them, and sometimes they would repent. Sometimes only a portion of them would. But those who did were brought back to God, and those who refused, we know God punished them. But repentance is the only way this type of failure is handled. If we sin and we fail spiritually, we must repent and make those things right with God. Failing is a part of life. Sinning is going to happen as, at times. We have to make sure we handle them both correctly, handle them according to God's Word. So some lessons for us to think about today, we think about how do we handle, <clears throat> how do we handle failure. We have to be those who get back up. If we sin, we repent, and we strive to be faithful to God. We don't give up. We don't put down our Bibles and say, well, you know what? I guess I'm just not going to make it. We don't do that. In Proverbs chapter 24, looking at verse 16, it says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. The wicked shall fall by calamity. Why is the righteous man pictured as falling and rising <clears throat> seven times, but the wicked man falls and he'll, he'll, he'll do what? He'll fall by his calamity. You know what the difference is? One's righteous and one's not. If the righteous man falls, why does he stand back up? Because he makes himself right with God, as we saw back in Psalm 27, or 37 rather. But the wicked, when he falls, he falls by his calamity, and because there's no repentance, because there's no coming to God, he doesn't get back up. It's only the righteous man here who, when he falls, he says here seven times, and rise again, which means we keep getting back up. We make a mistake, we sin against God, we, we repent of it, we, make a, we fail in our lives, we, we correct it, we learn from it, and we keep getting back up. We cannot be those who stop getting up because you can only respond to failures when you get back up. The only way to make yourself right with God is by repentance. The only way to correct failures and learn from them is to, is to learn from them and to get back up again. And we also want to be those who do not dwell on the past. I think one of the greatest ways our past is used against us is sometimes by our so-called friends who sometimes, believe it or not, really don't want you to, to succeed at all. Unlike Job's friends, they really didn't care much about him. They just want him to admit that he was in sin when he wasn't. But sometimes Satan uses tools to remind us of our failures and try to keep us down, if you will. You may, fall, you may fail more if you only dwell on past problems or past failures. Because when you keep looking back and keep saying, well, I've messed up here, i messed up here, i messed up here, what are you going to do? You're going to stop walking forward. That's what you're going to do. You know, even Christ says, a man who puts his hand to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We can't be looking back to the world. We can't be looking back upon our sins. If we repented of them and they're behind us and leave them right there, behind you. Look with me, if you will, Proverbs chapter 24, excuse me, Proverbs 4, rather, 
and verse 25. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. We cannot be those who look back. We cannot look back to a world of sin. We cannot look back and dwell on our failures of the past. We have to learn from our past mistakes, but not dwell on them. And allow them to cause us to doubt or worry in the future. We cannot allow that to happen. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Now, if you put this back in context, look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Look at the verses prior to that and after this. It's about a man who's surrounded by those who are hating him, who are wicked, wanting him to fail. And God tells him here, or here, the, the writer here says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Don't look back at those behind you who want you to fail, who want to pull you into sin. Don't look around at those who are involved in sin who hate you. He says, but keep looking straight ahead. In, this spirit, in our spiritual walk with God, we will fail. We start looking around at all those who hate us and we take our eyes off the prize. We remember when, when Christ called Peter out to walk, to walk across the water to him. We all know when Peter failed, don't we? When he looked away. He saw the storm. And when he took his eyes off Christ, he saw the storm. When he's looking at the storm, as Peter did, he can't look at Christ, can he? And so he says, look here, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. We must not be those who allow our past to bring us down. Because we realize, of course, that in our life we have made mistakes in the past. But we correct them. If they're spiritual, we correct them with God by repentance. If they're other things, we correct them the best that we can. And we move forward. Think about those who have failed over the years. What would happen if they dwelled on their failures and then just gave up? They would never learn and be able to ultimately be successful at whatever it is they're trying. Mankind may fail in a spiritual, personal, or even professional life. But all of those have a solution. The spiritual, repentance. Personal, professional, we learn from them. Sometimes when we fail, we may realize, you know what? I mean, we need to try something else. But we cannot be those who allow our past or allow worry to, to keep us from, uh, from trying things again. If we repent where sin is involved, if we learn from past mistakes, we can learn from those times and grow from them. Someone once said, a failure is not a loss, it's a gain. You learn, you change, you grow. Doesn't that sound a little bit like repentance? It is a loss unless you don't repent, but when you sin and you repent, what do you do? You gain what? You gain the hope of eternal life back again because you repented. Failure to repent and continue into that, you lose that. You learn how? From your sin, from your mistake. And the high price of it, you change, which means you decide you're not going to do that again, and you grow from it. And I think that's a pretty spot-on quote. I don't know who it was who said that when I was looking up some of these things, but we think about handling failure. You know, I think sometimes in, in life we think about failure, we think about the Christian. If we're honest, ask yourself this question, when does the Christian actually fail when we close our Bibles we stop listening to God when we stop praying we stop attending as we should 
We stop being affected by the power of God's word. We become cold-hearted, calloused, apathetic, and we don't care about one thing or the other. Then, yeah, we're going to fail. We have failed when we do that. But we know that we can be those who can overcome failure and the temptation to fail in that way by keeping ourselves in the word of God. The thing about the world around us today, does the world want the Christian to fail? Does it want the church to fail? Absolutely. I can stand here and tell you that the company known as Apple wants, by the way, media to fail. I've seen it and I've dealt with it through emails and other things. I can tell you they don't want any part of it. I can tell you there's those in the world today who want the Christian to fail. They want the church to fail. Because the church, the Bible, is not welcome in the minds of hearts of many people. And for those who have attitude, they have failed. Because the goal of all mankind should be to get to heaven. If you were to think for a second, you think about this world and what it has to offer, you think about what the Bible reveals about heaven, does this world really have much to offer in comparison? Can the world offer us peace that passes all understanding? Not even close. Can the world offer us salvation from this life of pain and, and agony in the world around us? He wants so much, so many bad things happen to us. Can the world rescue us from that? No, not unless you join them. Can the world offer a place where there is no more pain, no more sorrow for the former things that passed away? Can the world offer us that? No. The world has very little to offer, and what it does have to offer is so very temporary. So we think about failures today, we must realize we can handle failures the very best way by realizing we avoid the worst one of all, and that's by failing to obey the gospel. 